0: Hey everybody and welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast, the podcast where we look back at past best picture winners for your reconsideration. I am your platoon leader, Stephen Bugia, and joining me is my faithful sergeant, Matthew Marchetti. Hey buddy, how you doing, sir?
1: I'm good, I'm very good. How you doing?
0: I am doing quite well. It is a beautiful day right now. It's gorgeous. The baby's sleeping. It's really nice. I get to, I get to chat with my, uh, my buddy and we get to talk about... The 1986 Best Picture winner, Latoon, written and directed by Oliver Stone. Uh, I have to say, this is one of the ones that I was most looking forward to rewatching because mm-hmm. I loved it when I was not really young, but when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And I was definitely curious as to how it might have uh, held up. Mm-hmm. A lot of the more... But Vi- like I think I think back on Braveheart and how I love that because of like all the violence and whatnot and how that didn't quite hold up for me. So I'm mm. I'm looking forward to discussing this one with you very mm. much. So so um, what is your experience with Platoon? So
1: it's funny. I it's it's sort of amorphous to a point, and then and it, it becomes clear. But I, I definitely remember in maybe it was high school um, being shown a few clips from the film. Obviously it was a history class. We were discussing the Vietnam war. And I remember just watching a few clips going like, why are you showing this to us? (laughs) But it, it sort of made sense because it, it it cemented itself on me in in the few scenes um, we watched. I think most uh, dramatically the scene where they sort of raid the village, um, the kind of infamous scene, um, which i remembered very clearly. And then, you know years had gone by and uh i think i had sort of a resurgence again of you know older films and i particularly war films and there's a there's all kind of rash of really excellent vietnam war films um that were made you know before this and around this time and i think i just really was into watching all of them and um i think i i'd caught the full thing at that point so probably 10 or 12 years ago was probably the first time i would seen it fully uh, at least that i remember seeing it fully
0: it's one of those it's one of those films that like I get why they're showing it in school. Like I saw I remember seeing <laughs> Schindler's List in school and going, "I don't yeah. Should we be watching <laughs> like I yeah I get it, but should we be watching this really right. <laughs> uh, and it's much the same way. This is a it's a harrowing film at times. By chance, are you familiar with Oliver Stone's Vietnam trilogy? Have you seen Born on the 4th of July and Heaven and Earth?
1: I have seen Born on the Fourth of July. I have not seen Heaven and Earth. No, so just Born on the Fourth of July and Platoon.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't think anybody's seen Heaven and Earth. Was, <laughs> okay. I believe it was not well received. But Born on the Fourth of July, that is a uh, that's a great movie. It was also nominated for Best Picture in 1989. Uh, one of Tom Cruise's finest roles, I, w- mm. I would have to say. Just yeah. a phenomenal, phenomenal movie. Much different than Platoon. It doesn't, you know, it's not spent in Vietnam entirely. It's uh, more of a more of a character piece in the Mm -hmm. it's it's stones coming home uh sort of tale and on that note you mentioned uh vietnam movies there are um i don't know if there are a lot of vietnam movies but the vietnam movies we have are i think legendary uh where what are like what's your favorite one i suppose
1: oh overall Overall. um Overall, I would probably have to say The Deer Hunter. I think I just, I don't know. There's something about just the scope and scale of that film and also like the relatability. I think I, I really like um, Apocalypse Now, but Apocalypse Now always feels like it's at arm's length for me. And The Deer Hunter feels like I, I sort of really get to know these people um, before all the terrible shit goes down to them. So I just feel like that one on the sort of emotional connection that one connected the most with me. So that's why it sticks with me the most. I just as I'll just really like it. I don't need I don't think I need to defend The Deer Hunter um <laughs> no, it, all that much, but I think yeah, I think the, I think The Deer Hunter is the one that sticks with me the most.
0: It did win Best Picture. We we have reviewed it in the past. Yeah. It's a it's a long movie. It is. Um but it's a very good movie and oh the uh the uh Russian roulette scenes in that are mm. to this day just just terrifying uh yep. horrible i i mean i think i have to i, I think i have to go with apocalypse now just because i because and i i know there is a you know, we had this conversation about you know it's about the finished product that really matters especially in, in awards mm-hmm. but i just the story behind the making of, of apocalypse now is a great movie unto itself hearts of darkness mm-hmm. and i i'd love i you know i'm a big fan of heart of heart of darkness by joseph conrad mm-hmm. And, and to see it, see that story basically taken and shuffled into the Vietnam setting uh, was just brilliant. And uh, mm-hmm. the, the musical cues and everything about it, I think, is utterly brilliant. Uh, what is your opinion on uh, the other big one, Full Metal Jacket?
1: So I, it it's just funny. I was talking about Platoon with, with, with Steph, my wife, and I uh, talked about Full Metal Jacket a little bit with her as well. I... And I haven't seen it and I haven't seen it in a couple of years, uh, but it, it sticks with you definitely. I feel like I really am committed and into the first half of the movie. And then when they actually go to the sort of war scenes, I'm sort of less far less into it than the sort of leading up to um, you know, Pyle and all the terrible things that happened to him and yeah. um yeah, I feel like the first half of the movie is just masterful and then the second half is not bad by any stretch it's just that it, it sort of feels lesser compared to the first hour or so it just and i think that's just that's just what happens when you have such a powerful first half it's sort of hard to pick up after that would, maybe that's the point
0: i don't know i would agree Same the same thing happened with stripes like it's great it's great when they're in training and then they go to oh, war yeah. and they are like oh no <laughs> stop let's not yeah not, let's not do this Uh, I'm looking over the list, and I believe there are three films that had Vietnam at least featured, if not were the main point. First was The Deer Hunter. Second, this one, Platoon. And third, Forrest Gump, which had Mm -hmm. uh, major plot points in in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Uh, By by my account, I think it may be the war that has won the most Best Picture (laughs) uh, uh, winners, which is strange because we've had 70 years to make a lot of World War II movies. Just a bunch, but okay, English patient, maybe Schindler's List, kind of about it, sort of uh, uh-huh, uh, uh, uh. no, no, no <laughs> no, no, yeah, oh, from here to eternity, yeah, that's one that's one too, yeah, that's and then we start running and running out of best years of our lives, kind of a homecoming, mm-hmm. really, okay, maybe but maybe about neck and neck, but none with the um. For instance, like none with the that Saving Private Ryan esque, right? Full on war war scenes, much like this film. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Matt, uh, we are going to take a short little break, and we're going to come back. and We'll let's uh, talk 1986, the Academy Awards, and the films that came out that year. Sound good? Let's do it.
2: Let's do it. Uh, thank you, thank you for this Cinderella ending. But I think that through this award, you're really acknowledging the Vietnam veteran. And I think what you're saying is that for the first time, you really understand what happened over there. And I think what you're saying is that it should never, ever in our lifetimes happen again. And if it does, then those American boys died over there for nothing because America learned nothing from the Vietnam War. My special thanks go to my cast and crew, to Tom and Charlie and Willem, to Bob Richardson, Claire Simpson, Bruno Ribeiro, the rest of you, my producers, Arnold Copelson, Derek Gibson, Alex Ho, to Kaplan Dale Dye who gave his heart and soul for the movie, to Marion Billings, Andrea Jaffe, Follow Agner, Mike Menchel, and Bob Marshall. And to Mr. John Daly, who gave me a shot when nobody else would. And to my wife, Elizabeth, whose deep abiding love. Platoon
0: picked up four Academy Award wins at the 59th Annual Academy Awards on March 30th, 1987. Matt, what were those wins?
1: So other than best picture, obviously, uh, we had a well-deserved best director win, I believe, for Oliver Stone. Um,
0: very well deserved. And
1: then two technical awards one for best sound with uh, four winners John Wilkinson, Richard D. Rogers, Charles Grenzbach, and then Simon Kay. And then uh, best film editing by uh, Claire Simpson as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, solid awards all around. Um, Oliver Stone himself was a Vietnam vet. The mm-hmm. story, uh, the whole film was based on his experiences from 1967, 1968. In Vietnam, he is a, I believe, a decorated soldier. Uh, so, like, he brings a just a level of immediacy to it that I think any other director would not really be able to do. Mm-hmm. Like, Camino, Camus, Michael Cimino is great in The Deer Hunter, but there's something so immediate about this film mm-hmm. that it's, um, it can only, it's, it has the, it has that feel of somebody has really really been in it and it's almost autobiographical great. uh the sound the, the sound is great and the the editing i uh, i cannot argue with that uh that win at all mm-hmm. it's I, I was i was i just forgot this is like under two hours yeah i was, no. so, happy. I was so happy it's a pretty it's quick, quick movie yeah two hours, it, it, it moves
3: very quickly yeah oh it's is wonderful yeah, it's, it's not wonderful. nine hours long yeah. <laughs> it's,
0: i love it when that happens mm-hmm. But uh, the film was nominated for a total of eight awards that night. What were the other ones as well?
1: Uh, so Oliver Stone also picked up a nomination for Best Writing, a screenplay written directly for the screen, which fits right into those sort of personal experiences. Uh, we had a dual Best Actor in a Supporting Role nomination for both Tom Berenger and Willem Defoe, which I think is really interesting considering they're at odds as characters in the <laughs> film. And I think that's funny. They were both up. And also ironic that neither of them won.
0: <laughs> and one, right
1: and then the last was a uh a best cinematography nomination for Robert Richardson the great Robert Richardson who's
0: he, gone he on is. to
1: do and many many things i think he's and i think he's won several times or if he hasn't he should have
0: he really should have i'm like, i'm sure i'm sure he yeah three
1: has three oscar wins yeah
0: oh well there you go so you know we're not gonna, we're not going to sweat you just not um not picking this one up. i believe the win this year went to the mission yeah uh, for for cinematography, which is just a, a beautiful, yeah. beautiful looking film, and uh, I believe the mission was one of the other films nominated for Best Picture. It was indeed. What was what was the list that uh, Platoon had to uh, had to go up against? A
1: pretty like interesting sort of rounded list of films. So, you, so you mentioned the mission. I also had uh, Woody Allen's Hannah and Her Sisters, which is a a movie that um, I saw. I sort of became a Woody Allen fan later in in my life I just Mm -hmm. I don't know something about I'd see him and I was like oh I just want to hit that guy in the face I don't know what it is and then I started going through his films realized there was a ton and there's a scene very varied and I said I gotta finally check this out and that's when I finally had seen uh, Hannah and her sisters also had uh, Children of a Lesser God which is a movie I feel like I've always seen until I see the like the synopsis for the movie and I'm like no I know the movie but I have not seen it (laughs) Yeah. And then the last uh, one yeah. was uh, a room with a view. I think room with a view, right?
0: Yeah, the Merchant Ivory uh, production. Yep. Yeah. Um Children of a Lesser God was interesting. It was the first female-helmed film to ever be nominated for Best Picture, which is way too long yes. <laughs> if you ask me. And this was in the <laughs> 80s. Uh, Marley Matlin, uh, she was the youngest actress at the time to receive the Best Actress award at 21, and also the only deaf person to ever uh, have won an Academy Award. And she still uh, shows up from time to time. I think she recently made. I think I think there was some dust up with Trump and and her recently. <laughs> you,
1: you, well, you mentioned Trump, and that's what happens. Yeah. To my dogs. Oh,
0: I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. And I and I do have to say, um, I I like the film The Mission, uh, by Roland Jobs. Yeah. I love the score to The Mission. Oh, it's, it's by It's by Morricone. It's just absolutely fantastic. Massive. It's big and beautiful. And um, 1986 was a big year for Paul Newman because he finally won a competitive Oscar. It was, it was one of those like, yeah, we're just gonna give it to you because you're <laughs> Paul Newman. <laughs> Uh, it was for the color of money, uh, where he was, uh, you know, the sequel to the Hustler, uh, one of the one of the great uh, all time great movies from the from the sixties. But hey, Paul Newman, he got his competitive competitive win. Good for you. Yes. Um. So those weren't the only five movies that came out in nineteen eighty six, and I'm oh. looking at this list, and it's 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 one of those years that you go, man, it's uh like this is it's it's like this is my childhood right here like totally and completely yeah. w- what are what are some of the ones that stand out to
1: oh, you i mean so it, excluding like horror or sci-fi films i mean so yeah and looking at this list uh, i find it really amusing and ironic that the, when you type in best films of 1986 the first two that show up are uh, top gun and then platoon the film we're discussing today <laughs> you know obviously both both have to do with sort of militaristic action um but one is comp- Completely well, not completely, but mostly unrealistic, and one is completely realistic. <laughs> I think uh, you know, intelligent viewer or listeners will know um, which ones we're discussing. <laughs> um, but, but also, I mean, just just great, great flicks all around. I mean, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, uh, Blue Velvet, Stand by Me, um, Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, yeah, I mean, who could forget Big Trouble in Little China? Pretty in Pink, uh, The Highlander. I think the second Karate Kid, Labyrinth, of course, one of my favorite films of all time, Sylvester Stallone. Thank you.
0: Bro, oh my god, I have <laughs> dude, lab Labyrinth. People have been like, I've been hearing a lot of podcasts. People watching it recently, they've been shitting on it. I'm like, no, that is a yeah, great I, movie. Still, it's fantastic. It's
1: I still like it. I think when we um, when we had Greg on oh, not that long ago, I think we mentioned mm-hmm. Labyrinth, and I think he said it didn't hold up anymore for him, at least. I, I, he yeah. talked about a couple movies, but I think that might have been one of them. But I also agree a lot. It was of, a lot of people say that, and I saw it not that long ago, maybe right after we talked about it. And I just went, "No, I still, I still like this movie. I like this movie oh, quite so a good. bit."
0: Great, I love it. I saw, I saw it at a, a outdoor screening oh. a few years back. Oh, it was amazing. It was lovely, yeah. That was great. Yeah, uh, let's see. We also have. Uh, oh well, the big one is Aliens. Yep. Come on, that's. Uh, like I would I would like I there's a case to be made that Alien should have been nominated for best picture I think that movie is fantastic still yeah. I know but you know um Sigourney Weaver did get best uh, best actress nomination for her for her role which is great but man like, like you could you could have you could have had that you could have had that really Um Star Trek 4 Short Circuit <laughs> the Transformers movie come on Yep yeah, yep yeah. Great And uh oh Flight of the Navigator too I haven't seen that in a while. That was a Matt, what happened to eighty what happened to kids movies that were really dark and weird and just terrible? I mean you got Labyrinth, you got uh you know Flight of the Navigator where a kid like he you know is you know whisked fifty years in the future kind of. It's oh it's all, it's great. It's great. What happened?
1: I think I think conservative eighties culture stopped being conservative eighties culture, so filmmakers didn't need to sort of like I don't know, sublimate their fears by having like children and be involved in everything. So I think there's their subtle way of just being like, "Hey, the '80s are really like uptight, but so let's <laughs> let, let's make like kids' films, but let's also make them really dark, but sort of like really like hone the edges of that darkness and and make it still sort of accessible to a lot of other people." Um, And I think by the time the 90s came, we were all just, like, angry again. We were like, nah, (laughs) let's just show it. Let's just make adults have adults doing bad things. Bad things happening to adults anymore. (laughs) There's no wonder wonder in the world. (laughs) It's all gone. They took it from us.
0: (laughs) Screw you, Reaganomics. Right, right. Cold Cold War. Meh, what are we going to do now? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um... 80s yeah yeah that's fun okay this i think this segment is kind of going down off the rails we're gonna take a break come back we're finally gonna start talking about platoon stick around
3: somebody once wrote hell is the impossibility of reason that's what this place feels like hell i hate it already and it's only been a week some goddamn week grandma the hardest thing i think i've ever done is go on point three times this week i don't even know what i'm doing a goot could be standing three feet in front of me, and I wouldn't know it. I'm so tired. We get up at 5 a.m., hump all day, camp around 4 or 5, dig a foxhole, eat, then put out an all-night ambush or a three-man listening post in the jungle. It's scary, because nobody tells me how to do anything, because I'm new. Nobody cares about the new guys. They don't even want to know your name. The unwritten rule is a new guy's life isn't worth as much, because he hasn't put his time in yet. And they say if you're going to get killed in the NAM, it's better to get it in the first few weeks. The logic being, you don't suffer that much. If you're lucky, you get to stay in the perimeter at night, and then you pull a three-hour guard shift. So maybe you sleep three, four hours a night, but you don't really sleep. I don't think I can keep this up for a year, Grandma. I think I've made a big mistake coming here.
0: Matt, pop quiz. What? Okay. What was World War Two about?
1: Oh, um, a lot of things. Oh, 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 like for what country?
0: <laughs> for America, we'll say for America. What was for the America, what what, what uh, was well, the goal people, of World War Two?
1: <laughs> um, well, some people ha- would have you believe that we were sort of these, um. Uh, sending white knights out to stop the horrors of the Holocaust. Others would have you believe that it was sort of a revenge exploitation for uh the attacks on Pearl Harbor. Am I am I am I am I doing okay so far?
0: Can you <laughs> just can okay you can so you just far? say we're stopping the German government from taking over the world? We're we're tra- stopping we're stopping the
1: German government from taking over the world. Okay.
0: What was Vietnam about?
1: <laughs> oh god. Um you know, I feel like I don't even have a clear answer, to be quite honest with you.
0: And that, and that is and, the, that is okay. the answer. Okay. <laughs> that, that is that totally is the answer. Think about how lionized the World War II generation is. Just how much we have yeah. like been slurping on them for seventy years. And what they did was great, but it was clear we had like we were going against this country for. This recent against this one guy, Vietnam comes around. We've been through Korea, and that was a shit show in and of itself. Vietnam comes around. I don't know anymore. It's become so. It's the the start of the. We're, we're not fighting actual governments. We're starting to fight weird little cells, and like it's a communist brushfire of a of a war because we're trying we don't want to fight Russia. We're just so we're going to fight elsewhere around them everything I don't know I don't know and I what I love about platoon and I do love this movie spoil it right away is that they don't even try to explain why we're there it's it's the film starts literally with Charlie Sheen getting off the transport ship into Cambodia and it's stay and it's and we stay there we don't on to the politicians we don't ask we you know there's a little talk among the men about why we're there but there no there's never any clear answers and I what platoon brings I think Roger Ebert said is the infantry men's view of the war and that is what I really like about it because it paints a morally ambiguous portrait it's this is not uh, like I think really one of the big uh, Vietnam movies to this time was the Green Berets with John Wayne and it all america this and america that but that was not the feeling mm-hmm. at home now was it because like mm-hmm. there were there were a lot of protests against the vietnam war it lasted a long time people a lot of a lot of boys died over there and this is the movie yeah, I think that I, 1967
1: yeah i would say by 1967 i think it was about half the country said that we shouldn't be there that was sort of like 1967-68 was sort of like the turning point where we really were like no, we're really divided as a country. So I agree with everything you're saying. It's yeah, sort of this bizarre trajectory we were on.
2: Right, and
0: and the and the last what? Yeah, and the last uh, helicopter out of Saigon was what seventy three or something. It was a lo- like we were yeah, there was, for much long. longer. It was it was yeah. it, it was terrible. So <laughs> um, platoon. Uh it it opens with a quote. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. It's a uh, it's a part of a quote from Ecclesiastes uh, eleven nineteen. Um, th- what do you think Stone is tr- Oliver Stone is trying to say with that with that setup?
1: I mean, I n- not read too much into Stone's sort of worldview. It, it just feel it's particularly just knowing the movie and knowing what it's about going in. It felt like there was some sort of cynicism or irony there that it's like these these kids basically were going to fight over in Vietnam and that was sort of like their youth or their youth being sort of taken away from them. I mean, um, and I think, yeah, I mean, for me, when I read it, there was just sort of an irony to it that, you know, you're supposed to rejoice in your youth, but when your youth is sort of, um, taken from you or when your youth is monopolized by violence and war and combat, um, I don't know how to read that other than ironic or cynical or or cynical, cynically.
0: Yeah. Do you think the film itself is a cynical film?
1: No, actually. I mean, I, I think yeah. I I kind of expected a, a little bit. Well, so I think in, in there, there are like, there's moments particularly in um, Charlie Sheen's characters, Taylor's, his narration where you see the really like Oliver Stone stuff come in. Um, I think that there's, you know, his, his sort of narration and, not surprising to find out that the character is sort of based on his experiences, personal experiences in Vietnam. He feels very cynically towards everything that's going on around him. And there are characters who react that way, but I just feel like the sort of collective noise of all the different soldiers and their viewpoints, perspective-wise, in a good way. I, I Like I said, maybe just because I went in expecting it's an Oliver Stone film, it's going to be... It's going to be cynical. It's going to be, look at the world this way. And there were elements in there. I think the you know Keith David character talks about you know issues of race and issues of um, uh, social class mm-hmm. that felt very Oliver Stone esque. Um, but it also felt true to the time period. It didn't feel like he shoehorned it in there. It felt like something people would have been saying. So I guess maybe it is it is cynical, but the cynicism felt natural <laughs>
0: to, the, yeah. to the
1: time period. I guess I guess I'm backpedaling, but I feel like yes, maybe it was a little cynical, but it, it, in a natural sense, it didn't feel like it was sort of shoehorned in. Right.
0: I think it. I think it is a cynical movie, but it doesn't start off that way. Chris Taylor, uh, Charlie hmm. Sheen's character, you know, he's kind of you know he goes for a reason because why you know why should only the 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 poor people be be fighting like I should like I should go and do this and then he comes to I think he comes to really regret that decision by the end of it. So it's this you know he has this naive he's 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 basically up him from Saving Private Ryan who's mm-hmm. like oh no war is gonna like it's gonna forge brotherhood and you know, it's gonna be we're gonna do something noble for our country and then you you get to the reality of the situation and you are just like oh war is uh, war is beyond hell whatever like we are so far past what hell is. I can't even really commit to giving it a word anymore. But mm-hmm. uh, so, but it's it's nice that it doesn't start off so cynical. Like we we expect Oliver Stone to be very like he's like oh we're gonna he's gonna be poking fun he's gonna be like poking yep. the bear of the government he's gonna be like taking our sacred cows and pulling them down. But he's like you know he's like he's like we're going into this uh, we America are going into this with like some sort of a gusto and enthusiasm and we just get thrown through the meat grinder and spit out yeah. the other um the other side. Um what do you think of Charlie Sheen's voiceovers now uh, since you mentioned it? Are they a little too on the nose I, I at times?
1: Yes, I, I usually in in general unless it's like film noir or something that's like aping film noir detective fiction type uh, I don't really like voiceovers particularly if they're done consistently um i think it i the the way it's framed in in him sort of writing letters home i think works that works fine i think that's an okay way to make it more organic to the storytelling but i always just feel like you know maybe in that case just, just show me don't don't tell me i sort of get it it's like the end of like the end of psycho i don't need a psychiatrist to talk for six minutes to tell me what's wrong with norman bates mm-hmm. I, I sort of know what's wrong with norman bates at the end of the movie um i don't think it, it i don't think it derails anything i just always kind of am like okay he's gonna start talking like this is it's gonna get really dark <laughs> and deep and like i get it i can just watch the events unfolding and i feel like it's sort of it's it sort of is that way anyways mm-hmm. But I feel like I would prefer it if it wasn't there.
0: You prefer if it wasn't there. Okay. I yeah. You know, I was annoyed by it at the beginning, but I think it won me over just because it's it gives us an insight into his mind that I I kind of appreciated uh, a lot. Um, just you know, I I think it maybe it's because I too am a college educated white guy. I'm like, yeah, I'd be. Probably thinking these thoughts and in writing these letters, it's it's a it's a shorthand trope that could easily be you know overused, and I think Oliver Stone he comes so close to overusing it, but pulls back. And uh, it's ultimately I like it sort of it's sort of the classic it's the classic um, structure of like okay, Chris Taylor is going to I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you it. And I'm going to tell you what I told you through the through the <laughs> events of this movie. And well, that's simple. It, it it works for a reason, and it's uh, ultimately I'm yeah. like, okay, fine here. And also, just as a side note, is it weird that Charlie Sheen was in the Best Picture movie? Like that's weird, right? It blows, it's a little weird. Yeah, it's a little weird. A little, weird. A little just,
1: just, just. with like his hair still being the way it is and things like that. Yeah, being
0: so young, like he was like, oh yeah, he's gonna be. Hmm? Yes,
1: I want to. I want to just. A, I guess I want to retract a bit with the voiceover. I do think that, to your point, there are moments where it works really well as far as like a setup goes. So the sort of uh, the, the sort of um, the invasion of the village scene we talked about a little bit earlier, the setup for that with with Sheen's voiceover, with Taylor's voiceover, works really well because it sort of builds suspense to. You know something bad is gonna happen. He talks. He's talking about the Tom Berenger character Barnes going in there. And we, like we loved him that day, um, and then you see what happened, and you're like, oh, like yeah. you sort of in that moment he was sort of he was sort of Taylor's hero, and then you see all the shit that unfolds, and you're like, oh no, this is terrible. So I, I like th- in that way because it's sort of he sort of uh misdirects you stone and taylor in a way misdirects you into thinking it's going to go a and it ends up going in the direction of b so i think he does use the voiceover in at least creative ways um it's not always just to like get into the character's head it's also to sort of play with audience expectations and i think that's that's a really cool way to use
0: that Mm -hmm. all right well since you mentioned tom berenger's barnes uh obviously barnes and elias played by willem defoe are the sort of two ends uh you know two sides of the same coin uh that's are pulling chris taylor in these opposite directions um what do they what do they represent to you in the film so
1: barnes is the like the dehumanization of war like personified and willem dafoe is close to being as much as you can in the Vietnam war, the humanization of war, like, you know, he still has his moments where he's sort of like this bloodthirsty killing machine and he's mm-hmm. very good at what he does, but there's something a lot more human about it, at least human in the, in the sort of warm sense. I think that Barnes, unfortunately, is more often what we get when we look in the mirror at ourselves, when we, we sort of think about our darker impulses, he's sort of all of those things, um, just laid out in front of us, and we look at him, you're like, oh no, this man is just disgusting. But in our heads, we're like, I'm not 100% convinced that I would go to a war like this and not become like him. Maybe that's like his shield. Yeah. Uh, his shield to put up in front to sort of protect himself. Um, so, yeah, like you said, two sides of the coin. I, I just, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that beyond that point. No, but no, yeah, that, no, that's. And
0: yeah, it's Barnes. I can't imagine Barnes started out that way, but he's been in the shit. He's been shot seven times. He's been there for years and years. And this, like, you're in a war zone with an enemy whose faces you you rarely ever see, who you can't identify. You're going to lose your humanity along the way somehow, and it's so it and it's so easy to to lose that. It's like it's much harder to be Elias and try and try and keep your keep yourself you know sane. It's because right. it, it's so much easier because all the stuff you see and you like you just want to survive. That's how you get out of this. You have to become you have to become more to survive a war. You got to become more and right. everything. It's um it's it's uh, I think they also represent sort of the uh, the old way and the new way. You have Barnes who's this very straight-laced like we have the mission, we got to get it done. Like the the old the old way of thinking about war, and now we have Elias who's like, man, like war, like I don't know about this whole war thing. Like I'll do it, but we don't have to be we don't have to descend to the level of savages to attain our goals. And I think Barnes is like, no, right. that's the only way we are going to attain our goals in the, in a war as muddled and as morally ambiguous as this. But I think. Yeah, there is. I think there's another thing at play here, and I was, you know, I was looking, I was thinking about this movie and how, like, some of the major beats, you know, then the plot, the the plot, the various plot structure of the of the movie, and you know what, I, you know, what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna toss an idea out here. Platoon hmm. is a hero's journey. It is absolutely a hero with a thousand faces. You okay? So you have a young man who sets out from his homeland in search of adventure. It's Chris Taylor. Um, he is at least metaphorically, in this sense, an orphan. His, he doesn't really talk to his parents. He just writes. He's just writing to his grandmother, his caretaker. Um, in this new land, he uh, he is tested by combat. That's that's a thing. And he meets two men, uh, both of whom represent a sort of father figure. One is a mentor, Elias. The other is this uh, this like this hero, this great sort of like villain, this antagonist to who, to who he is and um these two men despise one another and at one point the uh the uh, the angry one Tom Berenger, he kills the mentor character kind of like Darth Vader kills Obi-Wan Kenobi and ultimately in the en- and ultimately in the end uh Chris Taylor uh he metaphorically and also in this case literally kills his new father figure which is which is Barnes sort of both for I think I I can't tell if it's a rejection of Barnes's ideology or almost an embrace of it but uh I was just mm. and, and and that and through doing that he is allowed to put down his sword and go to rest having accomplished his quest uh I'm spitballing that what uh any thoughts on that particular reading of the text
1: no I've, I think that that works really well and so we- you're thinking of, um, well, I'm thinking of, um, you know, sort of classical structure, literary structure, tragic, tragedy, heroic story structure, typically in, in, in sort of mythological terms, the character has to uh, make a trip to a sort of underworld or hellish-esque place. Mm -hmm. And um, Taylor describes um, his experience as Vietnam as being in hell, right? So he literally has to descend into this dark um, place where these, it's, it's typically in a forest, which is interesting. And the, um, the sort of enemy is typically described as sort of like race-like and spiritual. And you said the sort of the VC characters aren't really characters at all; they're just sort of these sort of spirits that appear in the trees, and you never you never really see them. They're not characterized at all. Um, so I think I think that reading works really well. Um, I think it works really well, and it, it connects on not just sort of, oh, you know, it's a hero, and he changes, and he, he, he has a story arc and all that, but the sort of connection between the father figures you made, and that last point, one of the last points you made about his um, shooting of Barnes is particularly intriguing, whether he's, how did you say it, a, he embraces his ideology, or he...
0: Yeah, well, I, way, I like, I like, I'm not sure if killing Barnes is an embrace of Barnes's ideology, or if it is him, like, I am killing the the disease that you have created in, in, in the men and like the division, the, this like, like I have, I'm killing this dehumanized thing so that I may regain my humanity because that is the just thing to do in this situation. Yep. yep. Mm. Okay.
1: Yeah. That's super intriguing. I, I don't have a answer to it. I have to really mull it over, but, um, fact that i want to mull over in a movie i thought i had a pretty good handle on you know in the (laughs) scope of the movie um just reveals how sort of multi-layered um a film like this can be so yeah that's
0: brilliant yeah and i i I think that's like why it connected so well because you have you have uh full metal jacket you have deer hunter and those are like the, the act structures are very they're very atypical but this it felt it's, it felt so common i think that's maybe one of the reasons in addition to great editing why it, it felt like it just zipped along cuz it was a, it was ultimately a very yeah. familiar story to uh to audiences wrapped in this hellishness the, um, of of the, of the battles and uh on that um what are your thoughts on the skirmishes of the film like how did they uh, how do they how do they hold up 30 years later uh, in terms of their impact uh, on the, on the audience,
1: I I think the I mean I had seen the movie and I still found myself sort of clenched up during moments and and sort of horrified at what was going on around me. Yeah, I mean, yes, there's you know there's sort of modern ways that this could be shown even more graphically or with with more clarity and in that sort of technical sense, but I sort of was so invested in what was going on. I I think that there's like a perfect storm between you understand who is who. You don't get that to me, at least with the central characters, I didn't get so much that kind of black Hawk down feeling where Mm -hmm. everyone is sort of faceless and you just sort of don't really have a connecting point. Um, So I knew where I was, but I also, there was just enough where I didn't know where the hell I was or where the hell everyone was during those sequences that you were afraid you were afraid for what was happening and you sort of felt sort of invested in, in what was going on. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that sort of one of the, one of the earlier scenes where, um, the uh, Taylor's on watch and he sort of takes a break and I think junior takes over and junior falls asleep and there's the claymores and all that. I mean, I was like on the edge of my seat and I'd seen the movie. I knew exactly what was going to happen. And yet I was still completely invested in the way it was done. Um, yeah, I, I think aside from a few sort of uh, maybe technical limitations, I think particularly a couple shots at the end with the uh, the uh, air force flying over, looked yeah. a little suspect from <laughs> That's very the way suspect. they were done. But even that, there was still sort of, they were still sort of intercut with sort of scenes of impact and some of the explosions that sort of brought you back into it. And I I think that there was something really, and there is something still really powerful about the way uh, those scenes were constructed. So yeah, I think I think for me they held up really well, and I'm an action guy, so I'm always kind of like ah, that's phony, that's really phony looking. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really feel all that much in this. I felt I felt very um, scared <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at all times.
0: It's, I think it's the point. Stone. I think recently doesn't get enough credit as being a great director. You know, he, he he's kind of gone up his own butt uh, in, a, in a lot of ways, but when he gets the camera in yeah. on uh, on these skirmishes. It's and this, this is where him him as a Vietnam vet you know really shines through. He's like, we did not know where the enemy was, and so we real like, there's not going to be a bat It's not going to be like a trench warfare. It's not going to be you know guys on one side, guys on the other. It's just everything is in utter chaos. You never know where the bullets going to come from. It's a, like somebody, your buddy might shoot you, maybe by accident, maybe not. And I think he's able to give us just enough location settings as to be like, okay, these guys are in this foxhole, these other guys are over here, mm-hmm. but everything else is left up to chance to create a very harrowing and chaotic uh, effect that really works to this day. A lot of the times we get either very polished action or we get shaky cam. And there's none of that right. happening here. Like I love the final scene of Saving Private Ryan, the the whole the 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 town battle, but it's choreographed in a way that is very Hollywood. Platoon is not Hollywood yes. at all. Platoon is as close to a documentary as you can get without actually sending a guy over into Vietnam and filming it, as right. it were. Uh, and I think it uh, it holds up just as well today as it did uh probably uh, it probably it probably hit very hard back in the 80s but it's still it's still very powerful to uh to this day mm-hmm. all right one of the most famous scenes in the from the movie is willem defoe's death scene um it's i think it's been parodied for 30 years um what makes this scene with him the music is swelling he's being chased by the Viet Cong, he's bloodied, he's getting shot at, and he throws up his hands while the helicopter flies over. What, what makes that scene so iconic and memorable in pop culture?
1: Well, I, I think there's a couple things. Uh, well, kind of two main ones for me. One is the is the sort of lead up to that sequence, the sort of betrayal of Barnes and shooting him and leaving him, and Taylor's sort of incredulity. It's like no. Like there's no way. Like we're not even gonna go get his body. Like what's happened? And they run away, and they get on the helicopters. They're flying away, and there's, there's someone yells. he's says one's still down there, and you know you know who it is right before they even say anything. So that buildup to that is just it's it's harrowing. You get so invested in it. But to me, it's sort of um. <laughs> it maybe this is reductionist, but it sort of feels like the moment in Armageddon. I know you like Armageddon when Bruce Willis cries. It's you see this character Elias that you sort of like, you just look up to him so much. He's so strong. He's just, he's, he's strong, but he's human. You want nothing to bad to happen to him. And to see him in this moment of almost complete uh, helplessness, mm-hmm. it just, it just shatters you. Oh I mean, it yeah. It completely shatters you. Any one of these guys can be taken away at any moment. And to see the one you sort of, I think as an audience collectively look up to the most um, in that sort of uh, helpless posture and that helplessness of that entire moment, you can't help but sort of just melt when it happens. You're like, this is just the worst. This is the worst thing that has happened so far for me. Yeah. <laughs> and I just it just it just takes the wind out of your sails, like really. And there's and there's also Stone sort of plays with you know some conventions here because <clears throat> there's a sense that, you know, maybe maybe they're gonna get down and get him. Like the helicopters are flying over and they're hitting the, the attacking VC on him. And he's it, just like so close to getting away, but he doesn't. He does. Yeah. And it just it just rips, you apart, rips yeah. you apart. Yeah.
0: There's a a sense of helplessness there that, to me, I'm I'm always shattered whenever there's a person in a situation where they know, like they can't do anything, whether they're dying, whether they're about to lose a friend. It's there's and Willem Dafoe a great actor and he does it so well. I think it's a scene that you want to laugh at now just because it's so over the top and um it's been parodied to death for yeah. ye- for decades now but in the context of the film when you see when you see that when you get to know the man when you see the lead up when you see the betrayal and everything it is a incredibly powerful powerful scene that um i think i think like i think like the defoe's face alone probably could have gotten him the uh the nomination on that in addition to all of mm-hmm. like the the amazing work he put in for the, uh, the rest of the time i just uh, he's he's great he's only been nominated twice this and shadow of the vampire i think uh he's long overdue for a major award of some kind because he's Willem Defoe. god damn it <clears throat> all right well what?
1: it's funny and i, I forget which well, just one more. No, it's, no. A it's also a follow-up to um, a question we had from a listener about potential Oscar films coming up. And there was one that, that came into my head, of course, right after we were done. But he has a movie coming out called The Florida Project.
0: Oh, he yes. He plays
1: like a normal, a normal guy. And it looks to be – well, it's a movie I'm very excited about seeing, but it looks to be a potential – least Oscar nomination for him, and he's again sort of playing against type. He's not the half-man, half-lizard we sometimes know him as. He actually <laughs> seems like a guy you'd want to be, like, friends with, so just a callback to that question and, and and my terrible answers of him <laughs> um, and, a, and, a, and a connection to Willem Dafoe and, and potentially uh, this coming year's Oscars, so we shall see.
0: We shall, we shall see. We shall see. Uh, um, one of the things I like doing, um, because I think... a l- a lot of writing you can look you can look back at it as it as authorial intent and go oh this person chose this name or this this idea for this reason. I always like going over the names of characters to try and see if there's like if there are hidden meanings there. And I just felt compelled to do that for our main characters. Uh, so so just bear with me. Uh, Barnes mm-hmm. last name. Uh, there's a long long list on this is all this is all Googled stuff. Long list of things, but there's two two ones that stood out of for potential meetings. Derives from an old English Bayorn, Old Norse Barn, or which can be translated to young warrior. And uh it's also an Anglicized form of a Gaelic name which is a by name meaning spear. it's uh, a type of weapon. Okay. I, th- I I just thought that was like very fascinating. He's you know, he's very <laughs> he's very much a weapon in this. Elias yeah. <laughs> Um Elias is a um it's a medieval personal name. It's the New Testament Greek form of the uh, Hebrew Elihu, uh which means Jehovah is God. Which I think, which is just funny because the next year, who did uh, Willem Dafoe play in the Last Temptation of Christ? He played, of course, played played <laughs> Jesus. But he, but you know, he, yeah. he but he almost dies in a, uh, in a in a in a crucified manner. He, you know, his hands are up. He doesn't do yeah. a, do the yeah. whole pose, but he's you know, he's kind of the uh, the shepherd character. Of you will who has to die in order for our character to achieve his salvation, and uh, finally Taylor uh, Taylor's last name I just have to cut, and he does get cut uh, on the on the face at one point by by yeah. Barnes, which uh, which you know so just a, a fun little thing. Sometimes the names have meanings. A lot of the times it, it's just chosen at random, but I think uh, Oliver Stone is a smart enough dude to maybe have some uh, some idea about what he's doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um finally uh, one of the things adagio for strings by samuel barber is played constantly throughout this movie uh it's a beautiful it's a beautiful song um i think it's become it's at the point now where it's known as the theme to platoon much like thus spoke zarathustra is the theme to 2001 um is Mm -hmm. is it uh, just maybe a little bit too too overused here
1: So, yes, yes, with the caveat that it, it's, like, the only song to be used in certain sequences. We're talking about the Defoe death sequence, right? Like, there's yeah. certain times where you're just like, yep, that's the right one to use. But then other times you're just like, all right, I get it. They're sad. This sucks. Like, maybe I don't need this musical cue to tell me how sad and how sucky this all is. Um, Yeah, it's funny. I... I think my memory in just rewatching it of the song was just like ah they're playing this a lot. <laughs> but it's pretty and it contrasts how it look, absolutely grimy and dirty and disgusting this movie looks. Um so it didn't hit me so much as an overuse. I think it is overused. Uh, like objectively it's overused in the movie. <laughs> um but I think I think the moments where it really works uh works so well that I can forgive I can forgive some overuse.
0: Yeah. I think, I think if it were just used during Defoe's death scene, it would have been maybe a little too on the nose. But since he's been priming you yeah. the entire time with it, like it opens with with it, and they're just getting off a plane, like it's the least dramatic thing right. possible. <laughs> uh, I, th- I I I th- I think eventually you're like, oh, I get it now, and I'm not like suddenly taken out of this movie because like, whoa, where did this? really pretty music come from. It's just one it's one of those things that so it's so it belongs to the movie now. It's hard to separate it from. Like every time I hear it, I'm like, oh yeah, this is Platoon. Cool. Alright. Right. Uh so Matt, what is the ultimate message of Platoon?
1: I know he's got this question coming and I gotta <laughs> think about it. And I actually <laughs> I think that there's not a I think often there's not a lot of merit in um, sort of taglines for films. Sometimes they're just sort of throwaway. But I really like – I like the whole art campaign for Platoon, the original theatrical poster. is just, like, beautiful. The mm-hmm. way the logo is done is beautiful. But the tagline, and it's right on there in the almost the center, it says the first casualty of war is innocence, right? So this idea of, yes.
2: like,
1: loss of innocence in individual people, the loss of innocence in this sort of, like, surrogate family of soldiers – and and even in a bigger sense the loss of innocence loss of innocence in, in in us as a country in america as a country um so this i think this idea of loss of innocence but in a like in, in a kind of multifaceted way um is for me sort of the main purpose or theme maybe i would go for
0: that yeah was. i mean you just you i think you hit the nail on the head it's a movie about the how america lost its its soul in this war like we had always been we knew we were the good guys and like so what we did was for the for good we didn't we didn't cross the line we did this but here we right. here here is we're in this new conflict and we are so we're being dragged down into the mud our the, the sky is gray and uh we're just like losing ourselves out out in the jungles of southeast asia and it's something i don't think we ever we were not prepared for and i don't think we fully reckoned with because i think we've been on that road ever since in these quagmire conflicts that were not nobody's like we knew why we were there in world war ii for the most part we kind of knew why we were there in korea like why were we there in vietnam why were we there in all these other little little brush fires that we fought over the decades i like we're just we we started losing it and we've just continued losing it ever since, and I don't think we've ever really recovered from from that. And it's uh, it's mm-hmm. uh and it's certainly certainly these days, uh, I think the message still entirely holds up. Uh, it can be um you know, yeah. <laughs> confusing fucking times we live in. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh ultimately the question we asked did Platoon deserve to win best pitcher, nineteen eighty six.
1: Yes. Yep. I think for pretty much, I think this entire podcast is a testament to why. I think the reason, I mean, I think a a film made in the, you know, mid-ish 80s about a conflict that was going on in the late 60s that still holds up both narratively and um, technically, I think is sort of just enough to sort of say, yes, it, it deserves some accolades. But I think the sort of power of the film and staying power of the film maybe wasn't even anticipated by the filmmakers in the 80s that we would still be looking at this in 2017 saying like ah oh, like this is still unfortunately how things are in a lot of ways the sort of division between people division between soldiers and, and between anybody in countries um, and the fact that we still can look at it and sort of question its morality the morality at the time morality of at the time of when it was made the morality of our country now I think for all those reasons it it remains um, just really powerful and and just as a as a just an awesome sort of um, contrast to the majority of films coming out a lot of the majority but a lot of the films coming out in the 1980s which were similarly guys with guns doing heroic things this is like the complete antithesis of that while still having some of that in there like you look at it and you're like, yeah, this could be an action movie in the '80s. But then you look at it and you're like, no, this is not an action movie. <laughs> like this is completely different and, and timeless in in that sense. So, with all that being said, yes, I think it I think it did deserve and still does deserve a yeah. win.
0: There, the dogs agree. Yeah, thank you, thank you, dogs. We appreciate it. Uh, there's been a lot of talk of you know, memorials versus monuments, and monuments are things we should uh, remember, and memorials are things we should never forget Uh, i think platoon is a memorial to the men who served in vietnam as a way to make sure we we never forget like there were people involved every day on these hills in these jungles dying for some cause we can't even imagine and we should not forget them we should not forget that this is a thing we did and we should try and learn from history and Lord knows we don't, but like, man, it's like, it is, it's just, it is all laid out in this movie as this is what war can do. It doesn't destroy. It, it destroys countries. It destroys houses. It destroys law. Li- it just dist- like literally takes life away, but it also breaks something within a person and within a people, uh, at ho- you know, at large, that um can't be really put back together again you know there are no you know there are no heroes there are no it's it's not Schwarzenegger with a gun here there it's every it's just people doing what they can how they can to just make it through another day because they're all they just want to go home and that's um I think um that there's a timelessness there to any war really that where the soldiers, they don't really care why they are doing it. They just know that they're there and that's the reality of the situation they have to face and um, that we have to keep talking about this 30 years later and all these wars and conflicts that are happening is um, heartbreaking, but I think it's, you know, platoon still holds up as a testament to what we what we give and what we lose in a in a wartime setting, and so yes, it absolutely deserved uh, to win Best Picture that year. Uh, I mean, it would have been fun if Aliens was uh, was in the running, but you know, I'll, I'll, I will I will take what <laughs> yeah, I can. <laughs> yeah, it would be it would be. Um, uh, guys, thank you so much for listening to our episode on Platoon. Next week, we are going to finally take a look at the Oscar Fahadi. Best picture winner, or best foreign language winner, A Separation. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. I've been meaning to do that literally since my daughter was born uh, many months ago. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you like what you hear, you can write us uh, an email at OscarWatchPodcast at gmail.com and be sure to follow us on social media at OscarWatchPod and subscribe and review us on iTunes. It really helps get the word out about this little thing that we are doing. Matt, Where can folks find you, and what have you been watching recently?
1: Yeah, you guys can find me on Instagram at uh, movie underscore matinee matinee with two T's. Um, Recently, (laughs) it's funny. I actually we're just talking about how I take a long time to um, catch up with Oscar films. A lot of it is because of sort of hype and expectations. But I finally watched uh, La La Land, and I posted the review for it last night. I'll sort of leave my opinions up to people to go take a look at Um, but let's just say that I'm an optimistic person um, and even that movie was stretching my in certain um, respects so check out the review Um, and then uh, tonight I have a a movie just to show the kind of contrast I like to look at I have a movie from 1976 called uh, Death Machines about a evil Chinese mastermind who um, creates Basically, a bunch of or three like Terminator-esque uh, kung fu fighters uh, to use as like ultimate assassins. It was a absolute joy, absolute joy <laughs> in, in yeah. every single way. Um, and I just love that I have it on Blu-ray and restored 4K. <laughs> this is the world that's, we live that's in. That's what
0: we it's need. Sometimes a beautiful,
1: beautiful place. <laughs> so I'll have that up tonight. Death Machine. Killers <laughs> of the future already.
0: Jesus Christ. We don't have the Abyss on Blu-ray yet. And we have that on Blue. What the hell? Okay. Yeah. Um, anyways, yeah. folks, uh, thank you for listening to the Oscar Watch podcast. Until next week, we'll see you on the red carpet.
2: The world's forgotten, boy The one who